Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Association NBA Podcast, where it's a very special edition. We're doing the quarter season awards. And it's funny, I actually checked our archives. One of our first podcasts ever last year was the midseason awards, but we're jumping in before we even get there because uh, it's a good time to take stock of the league. I'm Sam Ruthier, joined as always by Tommy Wood. Tommy, how's it going? It's going great, man. Got off work early on a Friday. Got a good, fresh start to the weekend, and I'm I'm excited to go. Gods be praised. Well, we've got some categories, both conventional and non-conventional, to go over on this lovely 7th of December. Um, with every team just about 20-something games in, I guess 20 games in, uh, it's a good time to, you know, there's a big enough sample size for, for everybody. Uh, it's not the be-all, end-all. There's certainly some teams trending up and down that will continue to do so, but uh, there have been some outstanding performances. With that said, on an individual level, I think it's hard to say the MVP right now belongs to anyone other than Giannis and Titicumpo, um, who is who I think is the MVP thus far, because he's led Milwaukee to... I mean, they're in second to Toronto, but the leap that he's taken, he is the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, Chris Middleton's been good as well, but Giannis has been truly great. He dominates the game. Every year, he just gets a little better at what he does. He's still not really a complete player. He's still lacking that jump shot element that would be crucial. But, um, I mean, he's long and mean defensively, but offensively is really where he works his magic, and he's become quite efficient uh, and very dominant. So, without question, he's my MVP. But what about on your end, Tommy? Yeah, for me, it w- it wasn't it wasn't that clear cut. It was actually a really really hard decision for me, and I've pretty much been uh, vacillating uh, right up until the moment we we started recording this. Um, but yeah, I I also went with uh, with Giannis Antetokounmpo barely over Kawhi Leonard. Okay, uh, I think Kawhi has made an excellent case this year. Um, you know, he's, he's averaging twenty six and eight. Um, you know, he's on 59% true shooting, um, which is, which is really good. Uh, he's just, you know, obviously playing elite defense. Uh, he's been getting better. It seems every game he's been rounding more into form and, uh, you know, he's the centerpiece of what is right now the best team in the league. Um, but yeah, I, I ended up going with Giannis, um, for a few reasons. Uh, one, uh, scoring a little bit more, um, the playmaking is another big reason. I mean, uh, he is what makes the Bucks work. Um, you know, if you took him off the Bucks, I don't know what they would be. Um, whereas this Raptors team is already has a really strong infrastructure that Kawhi is benefiting from as much as he is amplifying. Um, and you know, Ka- uh, Kawhi is obviously shooting it much better from downtown. Um, but Giannis. His uh has a much higher true shooting percentage because he is just making everything uh at the rim. It, it it's ridiculous. He's shooting eighty percent inside of three feet. Uh, I mean he's <laughs> yeah. become like a, he's become a Shaq level yeah. interior force. Um, when you consider the defense on top of that, um, and his defensive rebounding too, uh, thirteen rebounds per game this year. And uh, when you factor that dominant rebounding in uh you know 10 10 and a half defensive reboundings per game defensive rebounds per game and when you combine that with how deadly he is in transition and the way the bucks like to play they are at the uh what is their pace right now they are at the fourth fastest pace in the league 
he just unlocks uh, everything uh, they can do. And if you're just going off a of point differential, even though the Raptors Raptors have the best record in the league right now, um, but the uh, Bucks have the best net rating. So, uh, yeah, for me, it, it ended up being Giannis because of all of those factors. Um, was there anyone else you really considered uh, in this? I, I took a good long look at Joel Embiid as well, um, you know, kind of for a lot of the same reasons. He's just a two-way force. And, uh, you know, as, as good as Ben Simmons has been at times and as much as uh, Jimmy Butler has uh, played well since Philadelphia acquired him, uh, I think to me Embiid has just been out, outstanding this year. Um, but he was, when, when I laid it out, he was a clear third for me behind, uh, behind Giannis and Kawhi. Uh, there are some other guys I thought about. Uh, I think Steph would be in the conversation if he hadn't missed so many games. Um, LeBron could easily get in there uh, if the Lakers start to win more. Um, and, you know, he was just absolutely – I watched their game against uh, San Antonio a couple nights ago, and he was just absurd. Um, but, yeah, was there anyone else in the conversation for you? I know neither of us have mentioned uh, Anthony Davis yet. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned LeBron. I was going to make sure we talked about him in this conversation because if you asked me who I thought uh, was on pace to maybe walk away with the hardware at the end of the year besides Giannis, I think LeBron's pretty close to the top. He's turned around the Lakers from a sluggish start. Uh, everything they do, every success they have, and I guess failure they have is on his shoulders, but every success they have is due to him, uh, and his brilliance is on display. I mean, we talked about how much better of a shooter he's become last year episode i believe um but also i watched that spurs game as well and that fourth quarter was just epic it it, the guy shows that he can still give you those flashes of absolute greatest of all time brilliance and it's not just the you know head of steam coming into the paint get out of my way i'm scoring it's also the way he can still get his teammates involved he still is perhaps the best passer in the nba watching him spring guys like josh hart and lonzo open and make them look like just dead-eye sharpshooters because they were so wide open taking crunch time threes to put that game away for Los Angeles was really cool. And to me, if he keeps that up, if he keeps making his teammates look good like that, then the Lakers are going to end up as one of the top four or five teams in the West. And if that's the case, and you know maybe Milwaukee falters, uh, the Pelicans are worse than the Lakers, uh, you know, Embiid will probably still have an argument till the end of the year, but I think there's a great narrative there for LeBron if he takes this weird roster and gets it to home court advantage because he, he's playing out of his mind right now. Um, he's right on line, yeah. like we talked about last last episode, like right on line with his career averages, if not higher, and he's as efficient as ever, and uh, just he's still an animal. Um, so I think he might have the best or one of the best chances to actually win it when all's said and done. Yeah, I agree. I, I like that you mentioned the narrative aspect of that because in, in several recent seasons, you know, especially with uh, when Re- Westbrook won it, uh, MVP has really been a narrative award. And I think LeBron has the best chance to uh, to capture that that narrative. And, you know, he's never – what amazed me about, uh, you know, his, his game against San Antonio a couple nights ago is he's never really been a heat check type of player. No. But it's amazing to see when he does have those those heat check moments when that he can just turn it on like that and just completely change a game in a matter of minutes. And and the way he was 
just kind of gesticulating and, and acting. Yeah, after, he was, he was telling know, the crowd to get up. up. Yeah, he was pumping the crowd up at what, you know, he was almost looking like uh, like Russell Crowe in Gladiator. <laughs> are, you, are you not entertained? Um, it was it was phenomenal. Um, so yeah, I, I think he could easily play himself into that conversation. Um, just not there quite yet, though. Um, yeah, we're gonna need you know the Lakers are actually up to uh, eighth in defense right now, according to Basketball Reference. It's after uh, starting the season, absolutely Chandler, dude, atrocious. Yeah, Chandler's been a big part of that. Um, and if LeBron can, you know, show a renewed commitment to defense throughout the entire regular season, uh, to me, that is what could really earn him the award because you know the other guys we've mentioned, Giannis, Kawhi. Joel Embiid, those guys are are going to be in contenders for uh, Defensive Player of the Year this year as well, and uh, you know that's where they derive a lot of their value from. And uh, for LeBron, you know his kind of lackadaisical defense over the past few regular seasons, I think, has really been what's held him back from winning that fifth MVP. Yeah, uh, I will just say on a general note on the Lakers, watching that whole San Antonio game. Uh, it's just so entertaining to watch the Lakers for a variety of reasons, besides the fact that they have the best basketball player on the planet. Uh, you just never know what you're going to get. Ingram goes down. Don't worry. On the bench, they got a man who was literally born ready. Stevenson comes in. And then to start the second half, who but Michael Beasley walks on the court. Just <laughs> just wonderful. I, literally, I was sitting in my apartment all alone, and I just exclaimed, Bees. I was just like, <laughs> Michael Beasley. And then while LeBron's doing his thing, you know, the unbelievable LeBron taking over a game moment, they cut to the crowd. Adam Sandler just with his jaw hanging. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I saw, gobble, gobble, you know? The water boy. Um, so these little wrinkles of LeBron in L.A. are a lot of fun. Yeah. But, yeah, their defense it's with so Tyson Chandler. You can tell Chandler's out there just quarterbacking it. Um, it's the reason he's still in the league. It's the reason that they, you know, them getting him was a big deal. Uh, obviously having somebody behind JaVale to fill valuable center minutes is great, but I think their defense all takes a cue from him. He's not afraid to tell guys where to go. Things just look a lot smoother out there for them. Um, yeah. And LeBron clearly respects him, mm -hmm. um, which I think is important, you know, for, uh, you know, for the rest of the team that sets the tone that this is a guy you should listen to. And Chandler's, he's looked a lot more mobile. Uh, than I thought he would too. I, uh, you know, I really thought he was a guy who would, uh, you know, struggle doing anything other than hanging back and kind of walling up the paint. And and he's been a little sprier than I thought. Um, you know, the, yeah, the Lakers, man, they're playing at uh, their fifth in pace this year, and I think that's been a big help for LeBron. Um, you know, his Cavs teams were ne never played particularly fast, but um, you know, when you get him just rumbling down in transition with you know, the athletes they have, it's just, it's so much fun to watch. And it, it's amazing that they're even, you know, playing this well. Um, when you consider like, who's their second best player is, I think it's JaVale. No, Has he been their on. second best player this year? I, th I think it's Ingram. Um, he's able to create a way that I, that nobody else on the team really can. Um, maybe Kuzma on a good day. But so I think just that alone makes it Ingram. But JaVale does exactly what he needs to do on that team. In that way, he is very valuable. I won't I won't push you back on that. Yeah, he's I mean, he's been better this year than I think. Maybe it's just that he's exceeding expectations so far. I mean, he's shooting 77% from the rim, which is, which isn't uh, 
uh, new for JaVale. He's always been a really efficient finisher, but the way he's been able to do it with, uh, you know, playing pretty much double the amount of minutes uh, he's averaged throughout the rest of his uh, career up to this point, it's been, I've been really impressed by him. Um, but uh, yeah, we've talked a lot about the Lakers. Yeah, uh, let's keep going. So, let's keep going. Um, yeah. All right. Really now, now I figure uh, we'll hop next on, on coach of the year. And I actually have two guys who, like, literally, it, it, it's picking nits. You just got to flip a coin on it because uh, they're both coaches in their first year, uh, kind of. On the one hand, you have Nick Nurse leading clearly the best team in the NBA right now and finding a way to get Kawhi back on the floor uh, and also just working well with a brand-new group of guys around him. And he's fit in seamlessly to what Toronto does while they've also been able to accentuate what he does well. But... I, I have to talk about the other guy, too, because J.B. Bickerstaff has managed to make Memphis relevant again. Uh, Interesting. He, I, I would not have, he's not a guy who I even really looked at, but I'm, I'm glad you brought him up. So, so And the thing is, it, we're at the quarter season. Who knows where Memphis is going to end up? We talked about it last episode as well. They may not all stay healthy. Things might like go to hell in the handbasket. But right now, with them being one of the top teams in the league and, and de- definitely a top team in the Western Conference— um, got to take a hard look at J.B. Bickerstaff because they were a mess last year and they've come a very long way. Uh, ultimately, though, uh, for me, it goes to Nurse just because of how strong Toronto's come out of the gate. Uh, he's doing exactly what justifies them getting a new coach, uh, what he needed to to justify that. And and they're an energized group, and, and I, I think they're somebody to be really afraid of. Yeah, that's... Uh, I ended up having Nurse uh, second. Um for me, it, you know, a big part of their success this year has come with uh, they have Kawhi Leonard, and they didn't have Kawhi Leonard last year. That's a good point. Um, and, you know, I, I can't say for certain that they wouldn't be doing all of this if if Dwayne Casey was still their coach. Now, w- w- what what I can say is that uh, what Nick Nurse has done uh, with their rotations, with putting Serge Ibaka in the starting lineup and kind of rotating – Ibaka and Valanciunas mm-hmm. uh, as starters, depending on matchups. Um, and, you know, just, you know, the way he's uh, been a lot more experimental than Dwayne Casey ever was with the Raptors, uh, that is a marked improvement over what Casey did last year. Um, I ended up going with Mike Budenholzer, though. Um, Good call. Coach Buds. Yeah, I thought you were going to yeah. say uh, Mike Malone. <laughs> <laughs> no, even though I... Which wouldn't be a bad yeah. choice. He wouldn't be a bad pick, which is something I never thought, uh, you know, you would say about Mike Malone. I know, right? Um, Coach Buds, though. But, let's hear it. Yeah, but with, with Bud, you know, we it's something we talked about before the season. Um, but the Bucks' improvement from last year to this year is just kind of a case study in the importance of coaching, where it, obviously talent wins in the end. Mm-hmm. and. But I think what we've seen from the horrible job that Jason Kidd and Joe Prunty did last year to how they're playing this year is that coaching can really, uh, you know, hold back uh, <laughs> a, a team. It can really hold back talent. And then the right coaching, um, you know, can just see what that talent does well and put it in a position to succeed. And that's exactly what Mike Budenholzer has done. And it's not just with Giannis. Uh, I think Eric Bledsoe is playing much better. Uh, Chris Middleton is having a better season. He's taking a lot more threes this year. Um, you know, he was one of the most efficient mid-range shooters in the league last year, but he still took far too many, in my opinion. And uh, and now he's, he's exchanged a lot of those looks for threes, and it's 
worked really well. Um, you know, he was unlocking, uh, you know, John Henson was having a career year before he went down with an injury. Um, so I think up and down the roster, uh, you look at the way Bud has empowered Brooke Lopez to just become an absolute bomber from downtown. Uh, you know, the way he's, you know, been able to trust some of these other uh, rotation players, a guy, a rookie like Dante DiVincenzo, who has come into the rotation and just, you know, been empowered to start shooting right away. Yeah. Um, that's something that I, don't, I think Jason Kidd would have done. And, you know, they have, again, they have the best net rating in the league. Um, but the most important part for me is, is defensively. Um, you know, and, and they're not, they're less aggressive than they were under Bud. They're not trapping everything. Under uh, Kidd. I mean, under Kidd. Uh, Bud still plays a pretty aggressive system, um, but he's injected a lot more, like, conventional uh, NBA defensive principles. So it's not just a type of helter skelter scheme that allows, uh, an incredibly high percentage of threes. Um, they're, uh, right about the, they're in the actually 23rd in three pointers allowed. Uh, so they're, they're doing a lot better in, wow. in that regard this year than they were under kid. Um, you know, which is one of the main reasons they, they would get balanced out of the you know, out of the playoffs in the first round is they could, they would just allow open three after open three with their defensive scheme. And I think correcting that, you know, just that type of low hanging fruit um, has been really important for them. And when you look at stuff like that, that's all stuff that really comes down to the coach. So that, that's why I went with Bud. I, uh, you're, you're preaching to the choir, man. It makes a lot of sense. I, I totally, uh, I hear that, but, I I guess we'll take a quick little detour. I want to let you go first on the next uh, award, but I also don't want to just let you talk for 10 straight minutes because I'm being selfish, I guess, or I just don't want <laughs> you to like pass out from lack of oxygen. I got my hair cut last week, and I my the guy who cuts my hair also has a podcast. We talked about podcasting. It was really nice. It's called Cool Parents. Uh, it's literally just some dude from my home, hometown. And I was like, so what's it about? He was like, oh, it's me and my friend. We just go stream of consciousness. Um, but he was super cool. Justin, I wouldn't be surprised if he's checking this out. Hello, Justin. But I did listen to his podcast, and it was uh, very entertaining and funny and really weird. Uh, but apparently they got featured in, in Podcast NH, which is apparently a thing. Uh, some kind of publication about podcasts in New Hampshire. So, uh, I don't know. He said he has like cool. a 1,000 followers. And I was like, holy shit, we have like five. Uh, but good yeah but i just thought it, w it was something i'd, I'd mentioned because it, it was nice to meet somebody else who does this this thing we do uh but the next award i want to talk about is or you pick you know what i'll let you do everything you pick and you go first just do it all right let's go with uh let's go with most improved because i fuck yeah i've been i have a kind of at least what i think is an unconventional pick here okay um so, I almost, almost went with Derrick Rose here. Um, oh, shit. Just because he has been awful. He looked like, you know, in the past couple of years, he looked like he shouldn't even be in the league anymore. Waste of a roster and, spot, yeah. Yeah, he, he was. Uh, even as, as recently as, as last year, he was a waste of a roster spot. Yeah. And now, he's become, you know, one of the best uh, off-the-bench players in the league. Um, he's having one of the most efficient shooting seasons of his career. Uh, he's shooting it better from three than he ever has. Um, and while I don't think he's going to shoot 47% for the rest of the year, 
uh, even, you know, 36, 37% would be a massive good. improvement of where he's been before. You got that weird shot. Yeah. So I got you got to give a lot of props to Derrick Rose, a guy who literally looked completely washed, um, but obviously wasn't. Um, but so the, the guy I ended up giving this award to, and so when I really thought about the idea of like of, of most improved, um, you know, a lot of times this award goes to uh, a guy like Victor Oladipo, who was uh, kind of average to below average and became great. I think the hardest improvement for a player to make is to go from great to MVP level. Yeah, and even though that's maybe a marginal improvement. Uh, when you're trying to build a championship contender, I think the margins matter so much more. Uh, so I went with Joel Embiid for most improved. Wow. Um, I think what he's done this year on the offensive end, I think defensively he is what he's been in the past, which is a, a top, you know, three DPOY level player. But what he's done this year, uh, increasing his efficiency and increasing his scoring uh, and doing it amidst a really tumultuous roster and carrying the Sixers offense on his back has been really impressive to me. Um, and I, I think he's playing at, uh, you know, an MVP level, which he was not at last year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, trying to kind of for the reasons I just explained for a player to go from all-star level to MVP level, that's something that very few players have in them. So to see Embiid make that leap this year has just been awesome for me. That's uh, really interesting. First of all, I'm just going to tell you, Joel Embiid's not going to win Most Improved Player. He's not. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's still, uh, y- you're right to say he has improved. Um, he'll come up in a later award. I, I will say that much. Um, but for me, I was about to give it to, to Nikola Vucevic, uh, Vucevic well. whatever you want to say. But the last second I changed my mind, uh, I want to give it to Nerlens Noel. Okay. Because he was basically out of the league. And now he is one of the reasons that Oklahoma City has arguably the best, if not one of the best, defenses in the NBA. Uh, I mean, him and Steven Adams just like locked down the front court real nasty. Uh, and Nerlens has gone from the dude who we just laughed at eating hot dogs on the bench, giving Rick Carlisle fits to somebody who looks like a bargain right now and looks like he's got a place in the league for years to come. Uh, really, to me, that is, like you mentioned, like it's not it's not just the guys who go from the middle to the top tier. For me, I want to see somebody go from nearly gone to valuable asset you want to see on the court. Uh, and that's just what he clearly is now, for this team at least. And they play a very unique style of basketball for this NBA. They're, they're pretty slow. They grind it out. Their pace is not... Uh, what pretty much any other team we've talked about today is, but it works for them. Uh, they're right on top of the Western Conference right now, and that's because of contributions that uh, he's made, among others. But uh, he helps yeah. that second unit thrive. That's that's a great point. I'll, along those lines, actually, one one guy who I briefly thought about for this uh, was Emmanuel Moutier. Um, sure, okay. Because he uh, kind of, you know, the, the reason I ended up kind of keeping him out of there is that he plays for a pretty below average team um but along the same lines as Nerlens Noel uh Moutier was one of the absolute worst rotation players in the NBA for the past three years yeah and this year he's been an above average player and that's 
that's huge. And you got to give him a lot of credit for making himself into that guy. Um, you know, he was the seventh overall pick who was dumped for Devin Harris less than a year ago. Yeah. And now he's winning games for the Knicks. Um, and that's, that's really impressive. Dude, that Knicks team, go figure. Um, watching them play the Celtics last night, like they didn't quit. Uh, Tim Hardaway makes some tough shots. And he usually makes decent decisions with the basketball, too. It's not all just, like, Jimmy Butler tough shots. Uh, Hardaway's on that stupid contract, but he's actually, like, a, a, a good player to have. Uh, Bill Simmons last week was saying the Mavericks should trade for him or something. What, whatever he was saying that they should tra- uh Maybe Houston. I'm thinking of the wrong Texas team. Either way, I could see him being an asset for a team trying to win an NBA title or be a contender. Uh, if a team is in a situation to eat his contract because he, he's the best player on that team right now. Yeah, he's a microwave. So, I mean, he could be a candidate for that as well. Most improved, it's it's, it's endless, especially with only 20 games to, to look at. But uh, with that said, we... Uh, yeah, um, I'm, I'm glad <laughs> neither of us said uh, De'Aaron Fox because I just, I hate the idea of giving, uh, as even though he, he, he does kind of fit the criteria, but I just hate giving that this award to a second year player because rookies are supposed to suck and yeah. they're supposed to get better. Honestly, dude, on the Kings, I would probably give it to buddy before I gave it to Fox or yeah. Or, or probably sign would probably be up there for me yeah. too. Just on that team. But man, whoever was listening to the podcast, definitely just turned it off when we went down to Kings rabbit hole. Anyway, <laughs> uh, enough of that. Those of you still with us, let's jump back in. Um, <laughs> the, the next thing that we're going to jump on is uh, sixth man of the year which uh, is kind of a tough one right now. The guy I picked actually has started nine games, so technically he wouldn't, he wouldn't even count. That's like half the games. But he's, he's the sixth man of this team, and there's no doubt to that. Uh, I went, I'm back on going on the Thunder well. Uh, Dennis Schroeder. Um, nice. He's adjusted pretty well in Oklahoma City. Uh, I mean, when Rush was still getting into shape at the beginning of the season, he was admirable in that, that starting role and playing with the first unit. But again, I just want to reference, like, how weird of an offensive slog the Oklahoma City Thunder are considering how much talent they have. So for a guy like him to be able to create with the second unit he has, which is guys who are all a mishmash of specialties and Pat Patterson, uh, it's really valuable for them. And he's taken to the role well. So I, he's my candidate right now. But I want to hear yours. I hope you have a couple. I kind of had a hard time coming up with them, again, because we only have a couple dozen games in. Yeah, I ended up, um, you know, I may, may have given this away with what I talked about uh, in regards to the most improved, but I gave it to Derek Rose. Derek Rose, yeah, um, really good, really good choice. Yeah, I, you know, they have been a. Uh, this is this is crazy to me. Uh, Minnesota uh, is eleven points per one hundred possessions better on offense when Derek Rose is on the court, <laughs> which is yeah, he's good again, <laughs> which is just crazy. What happened? Um, yeah, and I just I, – I honestly can't believe he's this good. I, I kept waiting for – you know, he had that 50-point game earlier in the year, and I, I kept waiting for him to fall off. And he he just hasn't. Uh, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing to me. Um, his true shooting percentage is the highest of his career by far. Even uh, his MVP it, – it's <laughs> – uh, God, it's it, it's fifty nine percent this year. It he it was fifty five percent the year he won MVP. I mean, he's honestly on a per 
minute level, I'm pulling up his per 36 right now, on, on a per minute level, he is literally playing better than he did his MVP year. He's, it, oh my God, 48% from three. I'm looking at the per 36. Uh, yeah. It's, Jesus. Five yeah, assists, it's, it's, four it's rebounds. absurd. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he's he's always been a guy that, you know, kind of the, that I've, I've always perceived him as, you know, the house of highlights crew, like the, the Instagram highlights. He, he's a guy who appeals to those, but then when you really crunch the numbers, it all falls apart. That doesn't happen this year. No. You know, he, yeah. like the, the, all the numbers bear out that he is having an insanely positive effect on the Timberwolves. And it just, it, it's working for whatever reason. And, and when you watch him play too, it's, you know, it seems like he's finally kind of learned to play with his uh, kind of lesser athleticism. Um, and he's really kind of just come into his own as a, you know, as a, a combo guard. Um, he's also, this is crazy too, even though he's obviously lost a big step, um, he's shooting 66% at, at the rim, um, which is better than he has. It's about the same as last year, actually, but on a far, far like, higher number of attempts. A lot more usage, and, yeah. And, w- and would be... Uh, the highest rate of his career um you know his, his previous career high again his mvp year was 61 percent. so to me it's, it's crazy that you have this guy who was the youngest mvp in league history and now after going through all these injuries and almost bouncing out of the league and turning 30 <laughs> is playing better than he did <laughs> the year he won mvp um you know i also so yeah, he was for me. He was a pretty easy choice. Um, so uh, other guys I looked at, uh, Julius Randle was another guy uh, I thought about. That's um, a good one. He has been awesome offensively, but uh, the Pelicans are a tire fire uh, on defense. Anytime he steps onto the court, yeah, um, yeah I which got, I, I, I really one. understood because uh, I've always loved his defensive potential. I thought he could be a great, uh, you know, kind of just a great switching big. Um, but, uh, but it just hasn't worked. I gotta, I might even have, need to change my pick. Montrez Harrell comes off the he's bench. He's been great too. Yeah. I honestly, he's such an integral part of the Clippers. I just assumed he started. Uh, I don't really, I like, like the couple <laughs> games I've watched and looked that close. Uh, give me Montrez really, Harrell. He should be starting. He plays really, 26 minutes a game off the bench. He's been huge for them. He could win that. He could win most improved player. I mean, he's been great. And he plays like super small ball center. Like that guy's not that big, but he he can bang with the bodies no problem. Yeah, he uh, he really he reminds me of like a more skilled Kenneth Fareed. Ooh, nice. Um, that they're kind of like kind of the same size, um, you know. But Fareed never was never able to put it together on defense. Harrell is doing that this year. He's had a really good defensive season, and in addition to just being a great pick and roll guy, he has a really nice face up game when he catches the ball you know, inside the arc, he's able to take other bigs off the dribble and, uh, and get to the rim. So he's been playing really well. Love me some clips. All right. What, uh, pick another award for us, Tebow. Now we're getting in the weeds a little bit, but, uh, there's, there's still some biggies out there. Yeah. We got to do DPOY. I, th- I think the time has come. Who you got? Uh, Embiid. Um, Embiid. just, you yeah. know, it, I remember 
Like a moment for me when things kind of clicked about how crazy of a season he is having is the article Kevin O'Connor wrote a couple weeks ago about how he's basically having a Shaq season. Yeah. Um, and once you kind of, for me, once I read that and like thought about what Shaq was like, just utterly dominant. Um, every time I've seen the Sixers since then, I've just like focused on Embiid a little more, and he's just so just physically imposing. He does whatever he wants. And that happens as much on the defensive end as on the offensive end. He gets the guy who he's defending to the place where it will be a disadvantage for him. He forces the argument. He forces them to be uncomfortable. Uh, I mean, of course, he swats the shit out of the ball as well. But he's a really great linchpin. Uh, and he was last year, too. I mean, the th- reason that I was leaning towards Gobert the whole year last year was pretty much uh, how much worse Utah was when Gobert was out. And also that Gobert ended up just playing like a lot more. Um, but this year Embiid's almost averaging like 40 minutes a game and he's played every game. So that's gone. And the numbers are still crazy and he's still really good defensively, even with more uh, chance to be potentially exposed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's Those are all great points. Um, I, I ended up going putting Embiid number two, um, just barely. Um, you know, this was actually a really hard one for me um, because – it's funny, even though there's been such an offensive explosion this year, I think there are a lot of guys having really good defensive seasons. Um, Embiid, obviously. Um, you know, I looked at Giannis, too, because um, he's been the Bucks defensive linchpin. Um, you know, there are a couple guys who I kind of considered, but I think, you know, their team's defense is kind of a product of a lot of ta- defensive talent on that team that was Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. Um, you know, those guys just have so much defensive talent around them, even though they are, I think, the best defenders on their team. Um, also looked at Mark Gasol and Paul Millsap. Um, but both of the for both of their teams, I'm just gonna need I, I don't I just still don't believe in the Nuggets defense or the Grizzlies defense uh over the full season. And but if those if, if their defenses keep playing at that level, I'll absolutely give those guys a harder look. Uh, but I ended up going with Anthony Davis. Um, and, you know, Embiid has played more games this year. He's played more minutes. Um, but I think we kind of saw with Gobert last year that, uh, you know, missing time doesn't really matter as much when it comes to DPOY. That it's more about the impact you have while you're on the court. And uh, w- with Davis, what ended up putting him over Embiid for me is he's got – he has a higher steal rate, a higher block rate. And uh, New Orleans is just a god-awful defensive team. They're very bad. <laughs> except when AD is on the court. Yeah. They, they're 12 points per 100 possessions better on defense when AD is on the court. Um, so, really, he's like the offense, the defensive version of Derrick Rose. Uh, <laughs> no, but he's just, I mean, he's really the only, you know, Drew Holiday has a positive impact too, but I think center defense is more impactful than point guard defense. Yeah. Um, you know, just because, you know, he's really, he's quarterbacking the defense and he has, he really is really responsible for, you know, five offensive players rather than the one offensive player that Drew Holiday happens to be guarding at a given time. And Embiid is really the only thing that is keeping New Orleans from being a bottom three defensive team. Um, and any, anytime he's gone, their team defense just completely falls apart. Um, but when he's out there, man, he's just like a goddamn condor, just <laughs> swatting everything, stealing everything. 
Um, and, you know, I, I like his mobility on the perimeter a little bit more than Embiid's too. Yeah. Um, and granted, DPOY is a regular season award, and, and that kind of mobility probably won't factor in as much until the playoffs, but it, it is something that I, that I factored into it a little bit. I mean, that's definitely a big check in Davis's, uh, you know, camp in his argument. You can bring him out to the perimeter, and he's still a really strong lockdown defender. Embiid, maybe there's a little more weakness there. Maybe his feet are a little heavier. Although, still, I'd say he's above average for a center. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. In, it, like, Davis, it's like, just forget about it. Like, you still just want to get rid of the ball. The Pelicans, by the way, they're doing pretty good, even though, like, the, I mean, they run that super high pace. Um, I mean, not even though, but that's just what their game is like. But it's just weird when you watch them. Like, the guys they're running out there, they're starting Tim Frazier. Um. Yeah, I, that, that's actually the biggest one for me. If they're starting Tim Frazier, it's it's worrisome <laughs> like how reliant they are on Alfred Payton, and I know Alfred Payton has been actually he fractured his well finger, year, dude. They, they're still, like, like they're missing him. Sign. Yeah. Um. When he was playing, yeah, he was like a big deal. Uh. And then the second, <laughs> hit, it, like he, it was really like, oh wow, they're doing good things with Alfred Payton, and then he hurts his finger and he's gone, and you're like, oh shit, like. <laughs> Where'd Alfred Payton go? <laughs> yeah. Uh, they got a weird end of the bench, and they run some weird lineups out there. Um, yeah, I, I think know. they probably should have hung on to Mecca Okafor. Uh, he, he really helped them last year. Yeah. You know, yeah. As, just as a backup center. Um, and I, I just don't, you know, they've got Sheck Diallo. I don't really know if he's just quite at that level of a, of a player yet. Even though, again, when you're relying on Mecca Okafor in 2018... That's a little little worrisome. Check Diallo's at the point where now I don't know if he's the best Diallo anymore because Hamadou's having a pretty good season. <laughs> yeah, I, I would definitely take Hamadou, man. He's awesome. <laughs> Check's had it locked down for like a few years too, so kind of sucks to be getting bumped off your corner, dude. Pass the best Diallo torch. <laughs> <laughs> Begrudgingly. That's the biggest That's the biggest name rivalry since the Kelly Kelly Bowl of uh, 2016. <laughs> When they were throwing yeah. punches, God, that was crazy. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, they they throw some hands in the in the playoff series. <laughs> what kind of the Diallos? You mean? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you meant the Kellys. The only way like, they could they could take over the best name rivalry from the Kellys. I was gonna say, in what world do the Heat and Wizards a both make the playoffs and b have seeds where they ha- where they meet each other? Like it's um, <laughs> <laughs> impossible. Anyway. Uh, how about executive of the year? This one, uh, like, I feel un- like feel uncomfortable. I'd, why would I be uncomfortable about anything? This is a fun podcast about a game. Um, but I, I had a hard time wrapping my head around like, all right, who made an off season signing that's already worked out really well? Um, I I, I almost wanted to just give it to Masai because I'm like, yeah, the Kawhi trade was dope. Um. Do you have somebody who's, like, clear-cut your guy? I mean, there's guys who I'm like, they definitely fucked up. Like, wh- <laughs> Yeah, we can talk about that, too. Whoever you want to say runs the show in Minnesota, like, which I guess is kind of the owner. Like, they, that that's a not, that's an executive of the worst year ever. Like, Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can give, like, a collective, uh, just executive of the toilet to Tom Thibodeau and Scott <laughs> Layden and, and Glenn Taylor. Scott Layden. Yeah, I guess, I guess it lays at his feet, ultimately. Um, but um, is, is there somebody for you who you were like, yeah, this is my guy. Like he put together a squad. Yeah. For me, it was pretty easily Masai. Okay. Um, because I mean, he got Kawhi Leonard 
and Kawhi has been awesome. And he did it without really sacrificing anything. You know, Kawhi just instantly took DeMar DeRozan's place in the starting lineup, and Kawhi is a vastly superior player. Um, And the underrated part of that trade, too, has been they also got Danny Green. And Danny Green has been awesome this year. And he's been awesome for, for most of his career. And the only people who didn't seem to realize that were the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, I think they know now because their defense sucks. Yeah, that's another thing I was going to say is if, you, if, you're, if we're handing out demerits, uh, Greg Popovich and uh, R.C. Buford, Buford, what are you doing? Well. Yeah, Because they just, you know, you know, we, we, we talked a little bit. I, you know, this was before, you know, some of the free agency stuff had gone down, but they lost their three best defensive players this year. I'm not even talking about Kawhi, but they traded away Danny Green. And then uh, DeJounte they, gets hurt. They lost DeJounte Murray to injury. That's not their fault. But then they also let Kyle Anderson go for nothing. Shit, yeah. And their He's... defense has been trash. Yeah. And it's you know not surprising when you see the personnel they lost and the uh, personnel that they you know brought back in to replace them. Um, and yes, Dan- Danny Green has been great. Um other, yeah, and other than that, I, there really wasn't, uh, you know, there really wasn't a clear runner-up for me. So, um, it wasn't like a, a great offseason. You know, I guess if we're considering um, kind of what's happened through the season up until now, not just the offseason, uh, Elton Brand getting uh, Jimmy Butler. Getting Jimmy Butler, You know, yeah. for a couple of rotation players has, has worked out so far. Um, but... Uh, yeah, for me, that's it was pretty much Masai and then nobody. So, so two things. First of all, I embarrassingly keep saying in my head that Karan Butler runs the Philadelphia 76 <laughs> He does not. Uh, that would be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> he, he, does, he certainly does not. Um, second, I do think that uh, it's worth taking a hard look at Denver. Um, not, you know, they didn't really make anything really splashy, but Isaiah Thomas is still rehabbing, and if he comes back and, like, Gives them some good minutes off the bench. Look out. Also, just the fact that they were able to hang on to Will Barton. Uh, they re-upped with Jokic. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. And Not... Ma- Monty Morris, like, plays good minutes for them now. And he was already, like, around the team. But they kept him and committed to putting him in a position to succeed. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And they easily could have uh, fucked up the Jokic scenario by trying to uh, cheap on him. Yeah. You know, and keep him this year, keep him on a minimum contract this year and let him go into unrestricted free agency. So just locking him up for five years was really important. Um, yeah, that's that's a great point. And then the Albatross contracts and just players that they finally moved off of, Fareed, Wilson Chandler. Chandler uh, Darrell Arthur. Darrell Arthur, like just getting those guys out, not having them sit on the, languish on the end of your bench anymore. I think it's it's just healthier for, for a locker room. Um I don't know if I I have the expertise to say that, but I think it's kind of obvious. Like, if it's guys who used to play a lot who don't play anymore but want to be playing, they're clearly going to be, I don't know, disgruntled or at least not as happy as they could be. Um, and it, it's allowed stuff like the Monte Morris thing to happen. Um, and guys like Trey Lyles getting minutes. And, you know, I mean, he was already getting minutes last year, but I, I just I like it. Drafting Michael Porter, also great. Saw a video of him splashing yeah, a bunch of threes a, yesterday. That was a big risk. You know, that, that's that's one that I thought about too. It's kind of hard to give them credit for thirteen other teams passing on a guy who, if he was healthy, would have gone in the top five. But at the same time, they were willing to take a risk 
that 13 other teams were not. Mm-hmm. And they should be commended for that. Well, to is it still Tim Connolly? I know it's the guy with the hard-to-pronounce name now, too. Tim Art- Connolly and Arturis Casanovas. I think Ar- Casanovas is technically the GM, and Carnes- Connolly is the president of basketball operations. Carnesovas. Don't you dangle a guy named Casanova in front of me. It's Carnesovas. <laughs> uh, man. <laughs> Well, there you have it. Uh, Executive of the year. It's always kind of hard. Somebody's going to make a crazy trade. You know what? The Lakers are going to get Carmelo. He's going to average 30 points a game. Magic will win executive (laughs) of the year. Or uh, Rob Palenka. Yeah, I guess we didn't even talk about Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka, who signed Dude, fuck him. LeBron, Raymond, James. Yeah, and then they signed Born Ready and Michael Beasley. Like, I think LeBron would have signed with the Lakers if, you know, they had buffs and stuff as the rest of their their So, <laughs> hey man, Jared and Preston. I mean, those those guys would be decent <laughs> wings. Oh no, um, dude, literally, like, did he go back to Cleveland because of Dan Gilbert? Um, you know, and, or uh, and David Griffin. David Griffin. Yeah. 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 Exactly. That's no. Like, LeBron makes LeBron's decisions, and it's not like Magic and Palenka convinced him to. You know, it's not like they convinced him to sign with the Lakers instead of the Clippers. Yeah. Exactly. He, he was going to the Lakers. Um. Yeah. Interesting, interesting LeBron note real quick, or, or just all that stuff, him changing teams. I just read Ian Thompson's The Soul of Basketball. Did I mention this last time that I got it, or did I, is this the first no, time? No, you didn't. I, that, how, did, how was it? So good, dude. Um, I couldn't put it down. It's, it's some awesome insight into Dirk. Um, it's, he, Pat Riley was an open book. Just incredible, the stuff that he got from Pat Riley that really, just gives you a look at what it was like when LeBron went to Miami. Uh, good stuff from David Stern. Good stuff from Doc, too. There's some great stuff about that era Celtics and Rondo being just a complete ass and how all those all those guys were like, this is our guy. We're going to teach him how to be a leader, and he's going to lead us to the promised land. And then you probably heard them talk about this on, this, on the low post. Uh he just throws a bitch fit before the most important game of the season. Yeah, and yeah the I, I remember Thompson going on that yeah. podcast. And then the next game was the game he dislocates his elbow but still leads them to the win. But by then, everybody was like, nah, fuck this kid. Um, it was too late. <laughs> Literally, it didn't matter what he did on the court. So, And that's just like not even the main story. Like The main story is about Dirk and LeBron. But like, but like little stuff like that and like some great little Kobe tidbits. Like it, Phenomenal, phenomenal read. Ian Thompson, great work. Awesome. Sorry for yeah, that tangent. Uh, Not sorry. It was good. I'm reading a history of ancient Carthage right now, but I'll How's have that? to add the soul of basketball to the list. Now I'm reading Lord of the Rings. Ooh, my sympathies. It, it sucks. You don't like it? I I think it's just one of the few instances where the uh, movies are superior to the books. Okay. Um, I'm just not a fan of Tolkien's writing style and his kind of just his, his pacing and his over descriptiveness. A wonderful story, wonderful world building um but to me the, the prose was kind of a slog i think that's the hottest take we've ever had on the association nba podcast <laughs> J.R. tolkien sucks at writing <laughs> and that's not what you said that's not what you said <laughs> but all right well, well well uh i'm 20 pages deep frodo literally just got the ring so uh, clearly i've got some more to uh to find out um but i'm a big fan of the movies so what awards did we not hit yet uh, we haven't hit rookie of the year yet. Oh well, it's Luka Doncic. I mean, what else do you want to say? Yeah, um, yeah. It's not like it's going to be DeAndre. I mean, it's 
the thing about Doncic, it's just been amazing to me. Like we both expected him to be awesome, but he's been so much better than like even my loftiest expectations for him were. Um, I didn't think he'd be shooting it this well. I didn't think his step back jumper would be this good. Um, I thought it might take a little while for his scoring to come along, but it hasn't, man. I mean, he has just been amazing. And, you know, the fact that, you know, last year we had three rookies, uh, you know, Tatum, uh, Simmons and Mitchell all contribute to teams that got at least to the second round of the playoffs. Yeah. And, but I think Doncic is better than all of them this year. I mean, he's the best player on his team. This was a lottery team last year, and now they're above 500 yeah. pretty much because of him. It's it's amazing. Um, you know, I'm I'm gonna go. I'm, this is gonna sound a little crazy, but he he reminds me of LeBron James a little bit. In, in it does this sound way, crazy. Just want to let you know real quick. It does sound crazy. <laughs> uh, keep going though. Uh, just in that. He had so much hype coming into the league, and once he got here, not he has exceeded that hype. I think in terms of how good he's been, but he's also just you know shown no signs of succumbing to the pressure. You know he's been able to take it, just like take it all, and it, it ha- hasn't gotten to him, and he's just handled it like a total pro. Even though you know he's the same age I was when I was smoking weed and chasing tail um like the maturity (laughs) with which he's handled this has been amazing and uh yeah he's just been phenomenal um he's one of those guys where whoever he's on the court with he's making better like i mentioned about lebron earlier so there you go it's direct lebron parallel um he can play next to dennis smith which it's like okay you just drafted a dominant ball hander how how is that going to work with the guy you drafted last year and gave the keys works great Dennis Smith can play off of him very well. He can play next to Harrison Barnes. This is exactly what Harrison Barnes needed. He's having probably the best year he's had in a Dallas uniform. Uh, certainly the most efficient. He can set up DeAndre Jordan beautifully. Um, this Finney Smith fellow all of a sudden, I don't even know this yeah. guy existed, but he plays good minutes for Dallas, and I think it's because he's playing them next to Luka Doncic. He is no doubt the best player on the team, as you mentioned, and... He, he, I mean, what a surprise. The guy who won the MVP award in the second best league in the world can also play good basketball in the best league in the world. Like, you know, we... Yeah, who'd have thought? Yeah, crazy, <laughs> right? Uh, it hurts my feelings to imagine what it would be like if he was playing in Sacramento next to Buddy De'Aaron Fox and oh, Willie Colley-Stein. Especially you know? when, with how good Sacramento has been, getting really not many contributions at all from Marvin Bagley. Um, no, and and you know, who's, who hasn't even started yet? Who's the guy who they got from Minnesota? Who like Bielitsa? Dude, like there's your five. There's your crunch time five. Yeah, Bielitsa, Collie Stein, Doncic, Buddy, and De'Aaron Fox, and they could go. They could just go. That lineup would yeah. be nasty. But uh, instead, yeah, uh, Jaeger's job's on the line because you can't get Bagley enough minutes because the kid's not ready. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and Phoenix's decision to. I mean, Aiton. Like, I still think Aiton is going to be good. He's huge, and Offensively, dude. he's been good. Yeah. But defensively, he doesn't have a clue. Phoenix is the worst team in the league. And, you know, Aiton, at least right now, kind of looks like the big man version of his teammate, Devin Booker, in that he, he shows up, he puts up big stats, he plays 0-D, and he takes the L. Yeah. I mean, the just, just the last two games, how embarrassing of a first quarter they've had. 
uh, which is in the news lately because they were like down 34-7 twice in a row. They let, they had an ultimate Jake Lehman heat check game last night. Yeah. <laughs> when that kid put up like 17 points on 6 of 6 shooting or whatever. But yeah, man, Luka is is something else. But even though he doesn't win it, you have to you have to also throw Jaron Jackson out there because I think he's been the second best rookie. And he I has. think I think he's in a category of his own above above every other rookie too because he's been so good. I think he's revitalized Marcus All. I think it lets Memphis rest easy knowing that they don't have to trade Marcus All now necessarily. He can ride off into the sunset with Jaron Jackson slowly taking more of the burden because the kid's been that good. And I, I sang his praises last episode too, but just the way he can already uh like make plays, not just get catch passes and finish lobs and stuff, but like beat guys off the dribble or just be in the right place at the yeah. right time is really cool and really fun yeah. to watch. I did not think he would have the off the dribble game that he does. Um, I also think uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander for the Clippers deserves yeah. an honorable mention. For sure. Um, another guy who's been contributing to, to winning basketball and he's been starting for them and, and playing really well on both ends, I think. And a quick note, um, somebody who doesn't need to be in this conversation, who doesn't play is Robert Williams, but, Weird Celtics Twitter nicknamed him Time Lord because he kept being late to practice and games and stuff uh, and missing <laughs> that's, flights. That's brutal. Yeah. And uh, it's actually become a thing where a couple weeks ago on this Bill Simmons podcast, Ryan Rosillo was like, what's Robert Williams' nickname? Lord Time? <laughs> like, Lord Time. Not quite, but that's funny that you actually know that's a thing. Uh, but yeah, dude, Celtics Twitter is such a weird place. They... Every game, every Celtics game, there's all these images of him, like his head pasted over a Doctor Who thing or like, yeah, essentially other weird things like that. Um, But we're going to move on to some more fun categories, uh, or I guess a fun category, the least improved player. Now, of course, most improved player is an actual award. Least improved player, um, as I loosely define it, is someone who's just taken a huge step backwards, who's just a net negative, uh, who just sucks more than he did last year by a fair margin. Uh, for me, Tommy, it's got to be Carmelo Anthony, who Oof. sucked last year, but this year couldn't even make it through 10 games with a team before he was asked to vacate the premises. But uh, I'm curious if you've got a different answer. I, I do. See, I, I looked at this slightly differently i didn't i didn't think about it so much as regression uh, as much as a player who uh should have gotten better but didn't okay. and actually probably did regress he he probably is uh is even worse i went with josh jackson in yeah. phoenix great um you know we just we talked during the rookie of the year discussion how you know we didn't want to consider Jaron Fox because rookies are supposed to suck and then they're supposed to make a massive leap going into their second year. Well, Josh Jackson uh, has made the opposite yeah. of second year leap. Uh, <laughs> he has just been absolutely atrocious. Um, and it's to the point where I wonder if Phoenix is even going to pick up his, his third year, or I guess his fourth year option. They've, yeah. they've already picked up his third year option. Um, because he's he's been atrocious in in every in every way. Um, they are, you know, as awful as everyone on on Phoenix has been. They are uh, six points worse per one hundred possessions on offense when he comes on onto the court. Um, his shooting has somehow regressed from last year uh, when he was one of the least efficient players in the league. He was at forty eight percent true shooting last year. 
Now he's down to 46% this year. <laughs> um, he's shooting – I'm pulling it up on basketball reference right now. Yeah. He's shooting 25% from three. He's shooting uh, 52% at the rim, 40% from mid-range, which is where, appallingly, uh, more than half of his shots come from. Jesus. He's the next mellow. It's just guys yeah. who play like mellow. <laughs> <laughs> but – I mean, when you look at, you know, he, he shares the court with guys like uh, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, Trevor Ariza, guys who should be taking these shots over him, and yet he just barfs up these awful contested off-the-dribble off mid-rangers. He's just, to me, become one of the worst decision-makers in the entire NBA. And the defensive value that, you know, was theorized when he was coming into the draft has not manifested itself whatsoever. Um, he's just, it's been really bad. And to the point where now he's been supplanted in the, in the rotation by Mikhail Bridges, the rookie out of uh, Villanova and, and rightfully so um, because he has shown absolutely nothing this year to, you know, justify his spot in a in the rotation on even the worst team in the league. And, it's just to me, it's just a really bad sign when uh, a guy looks worse uh, as a sophomore than he did as a rookie, um, especially when his rookie season was already um, pretty awful to begin with. So, yeah, I went, I went with Josh Jackson, and I hope he can turn it around, um, but it's not looking promising. That's crazy that even on the worst team in the league, they're still worse when you're on the court. Yeah, right. It's, it's honestly just hard to do, like to be that bad. But but yeah, I mean, he's, he's... how do you make Phoenix worse? <laughs> like... uh, yeah, that's that sucks. Um, it's interesting to look at the second round of that draft. There's like a lot of names who are already contributors. Wes Iwundu, uh, Shami Ojale, Jordan Bell, uh, Isaiah Hartenstein. I guess not really. Dylan Brooks though was the 45th yeah. pick in that draft. Uh, Sandarius Thornwell, Monte Morris. Like the list goes. It's wild. That that's more guys than I think you could expect from the second round to be rotation players on teams that don't necessarily suck. But yeah, that's a bummer of a category, but also hilarious. Um, <laughs> and and what was the other one? Oh, uh, team that plays great in the regular season, but but you know they're just gonna get trampled in the first round of the playoffs. I call this the Roadkill Award. <laughs> um, nice. You you go ahead and go first. I. I've got the Western Conference leading Denver Nuggets. For oh this no! Um, what? I know. It's it's a bummer. I think I I think their offense is going to be awesome throughout the regular season. I think their offense is going to be awesome in the playoffs too. Um, but as I've said many times on this podcast this season, I do not believe in their defense. Yeah. And even if their defense uh, stays at this level, at this top five level, for the rest of the regular season. I think you're really looking at a scenario like the uh, Portland Trailblazers last year, where the Blazers kind of smoke and mirrored their way to a good defense, to a, to a top 10 defense last year, um, basically by, by playing the math. And the Nuggets are doing it a little bit differently. You know, the, the Blazers were incredibly conservative last year, dropping Nurkic back. All the Nuggets have been very aggressive, having Nikola, Nikola Jokic uh, you know, really show out on the pick and roll. But I think that the result is going to be the same, where that 
even though you're able to play good defense in the regular season, uh, when you get in the playoffs and when the game slows down and when switching and one-on-one defense becomes that much more important, it's all about the personnel and scheme matters less. And the Nuggets just don't have the personnel to, I think, defend the best teams in the NBA or in the Western Conference. So, granted, a lot of it could come down to matchup. And, you know, if they get matched up with a team like uh, like Memphis or uh, Utah, something like that in the first round, a team that doesn't have a lot of elite, you know, one-on-one creators, uh, maybe it'll do okay. Uh, but I think that once they get into the playoffs, uh, they're really going to struggle um, to defend top-level offensive talent. And that's, you know, that's a problem. You just can't, you know, you just can't advance in the playoffs if you can't defend. And, you know, the Nuggets have been able to defend so far this year, but I, I don't believe in it for the rest of this season um, or, like I've said, in the playoffs. Wow. What a bummer. Um, you know, I'm glad you're at least coming to terms with it right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, they have the longest winning streak in the league. They're, they've they, won the they last do. seven games. They're, they're awesome this year. But, I mean, I, I guess part of, you know, the, the Blazers were a good team last year, and, and this yeah. this is what happened to them in, in the first round. You know, they're, I guess the way I look at it is this. There are a lot of ways to make the playoffs in the NBA. There are a lot of ways to be successful in the regular season. Um, but when it comes to getting to that highest level to competing for a finals berth and competing for a championship, you've just, you can't have any weak links on defense or you're going to get housed. Or yeah. if you do have weak links on defense, you better have LeBron James. <laughs> Basically you better have LeBron James and Kyrie Irving both playing an incredible, uh, offensive levels and Draymond Green better have tried to punch one of them in the nuts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's a bummer. Also kind of interesting that Denver's whole season has just been streaks. They were like nine and one and then they lost like five and now they've won seven in a row. Like kind of streaky. Yeah. That's, that's all I had. That's just something I noticed. I, I had nowhere else to go with that, but my team is the, uh, the Detroit Pistons, the, Motor, <laughs> Motor City non-miracle. They are going to go into the playoffs and just get flattened because they're not terribly deep. Uh, God bless Dwayne Casey. He's seems to be making Blake Griffin feel good about himself. But it's just a hodgepodge. It's not a roster that makes a ton of sense. They play, at times, entertaining basketball, but it's not built to last. In the playoffs, they will be exposed for what they are. They will be who we thought they were. Uh and I hope they get matched up with the Celtics because that'd be nice for the Celts to uh, get into playoff form by just killing the Pistons and probably four. How about your favorite player in the league, Reggie Jackson, down to 33% from three after the hot start that we all knew was a mirage? Ah, Reginald. They call him Mr. October for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's savage, my friend. Well... I mean, we. I don't. I don't think you want to see him come May, but uh, we will. But just not for long. Uh, yeah, my guy Reggie, Boston's finest. Uh, not quite. They, they, yeah, Ish Smith. Hopefully, hopefully we'll be hearing Ish Smith's music. But uh, either way, any anything else, T Bone? Any more award 
propositions or, or things you think need to be noted at the quarter season mark? Um, you know, maybe we could give a shout out to uh, to Old Yeller, aka Fred Hoiberg. Um, oh, <laughs> I, I, I I really do think though. I really do think that uh, uh, Chicago management as really as as puzzling a decision as it was to fire him when they did. I think they might have done him a favor, kind of the same way I think uh, Cleveland did Ty Lue a favor by firing him earlier in the season. Um, because now he's just, wherever he goes next, he's not going to have this stink of coaching another god-awful team on his resume. And just with the way it went down, um, when he's going for his next job, whether it's uh, in the NBA or in college, he'll be able to look at just how... He was brought in to do one thing. He was given a roster that was completely mismatched for it. Then that team got blown up, and he was given a bunch of, you know, another mishmashed, uh, you know, the three alphas, and then they started tanking. Um, he'll be able to point at his entire Bulls tenure and just say, rightfully so, that he was set up for failure. Um, and I, I think if, you know, if, when he frames it like that, it, um, I think it might actually might actually help him um, just because the way it went down, he wasn't a perfect coach. I don't know if he's a good coach or a bad coach from what we've seen, but a lot of this dysfunction in Chicago, I think, can be traced back to management uh, rather than him. It's like every time they wanted to talk to him, they listened to the first half of what he said. Like he showed up and he had like the bones of that Tibbs team. And he was like, I run pace and space. I need some guards who can shoot. And then Garpax was like, oh, you want guards? Okay, here's Dwayne Casey and Rajon Ronda. Or Dwayne Wade. Casey. <laughs> Dwayne Casey. Dwayne Wade. And he was like, what? No, wait, no. And then, like, you stuck with the stuck with three alphas. And then it didn't work out. And he went back to him and he was like, look, you gave me some guards who can shoot, but they were old. I don't want old guys. I need young guys who fit well together. So then they went out and they made all kinds of trades and stupid shit. And they were like, here, you got young guys. And he's like, what? No, what? No, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want Jabari. <laughs> what is this? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he was set up to fail. None of those rosters yeah. made sense. They would have good pieces and trade them away. Or those good pieces would punch each other in the face. Uh, or just all kinds <laughs> of strange shit. It was a really weird tenure for Fred Hoiberg. Um, uh, and may he yeah. sail back off to a mid-major program into the sunset with a lifetime contract. Yeah. You know, the way John Paxson said that, you know, they fired Hoiberg because, you know, something like about a lack of energy or something to that effect. Well, you've got Zach Levine and Jabari Parker on the floor. Like, what what energy do you expect to see out of those guys? Jabari is – that dude is straight up fat. And one of the more lackadaisical players we've seen in the league in a long time. He's on the record saying he sucks at defense. Yeah. Um, no, he, he the poor guy just ugh. But uh, I mean, we saw it at Iowa State like he's a good coach. He can do interesting things. He'll go coach somewhere else. Um, uh, for now, he just deserves a nice long vacation, and I, I hope you take it, Fred. Uh. <laughs> Any thoughts on, on the Markel Fultz story? At this point, it's so weird that if one day they were like, like breaking, Fultz's shoulder falls off. I'd be like, oh. <laughs> Fultz's arm amputated. Yeah, what a weird development. Yeah. But they'll probably yeah. still start him next week. Like, 
Just trade the I, kid, you know? I don't know. What do you, what do, you do? Yeah. Well, so one thing I've been thinking, you know, in eight days uh, is when all the guys who, you know, signed over the offseason using, uh, not using bird rights become trade eligible. The 15th, yep. So one guy that I have my eye on, and I think this could be a win-win for everyone involved, one guy that becomes trade eligible on, tra- on December 15th is Wayne Ellington. And... Wayne Ellington does exactly what Philadelphia needs, which is bomb threes without a conscience. Yep. And he plays for a team in Miami. Great culture. That has absolutely no young talent in the pipeline right now. They have very little draft assets uh, coming in the future. And they also have a history of taking players with with far less talent and pedigree than Markel Fultz. And developing developing them into quality NBA players who can shoot. They, you know, you look at guys like like Derek Jones Jr., like James Johnson, Josh Richardson, uh, Rodney Magruder. These are all guys that have improved. You know, even even going back to Chris Bosh, uh, guys who have improved markedly game. Yeah. as shooters uh, in Miami, and they get you into the best shape of your life, uh, which is something that Markel. Looks like you could use a little bit. A little um, less Chick-fil-A? Well, yeah, a little less Chick-fil-A. So I think that situation, I think playing for a team like Miami with their developmental infrastructure would be perfect for Markel. It would be perfect for Miami because they just need a guy like him. Otherwise, they are really going to fall off because they have no flexibility going forward. And, you know, it gets it gets Philly another shooter, which, which they desperately need. And as much as it might hurt to trade, the number one overall pick 18 months ago for Wayne Ellington. Um, yeah, you know, that's kind of what you're looking at at this point for, for Philly. And you are trying to win an NBA championship this year or next year. Like this, their window is yep. open right now. So you can't just sit around if it's not going to happen for him, but you can still get something useful back for him. You just got to do it. Just like, uh, I mean, the argument back in the day was like, are the Cavs really going to let go of Wiggins? Which is pretty funny to look at now because <laughs> who cares? Um, but that was their window. And they got Kevin Love and they won an NBA championship. So, I mean, yeah. are you going to let go of Fultz? It's like, look, it's been a wasted year. He's not going to do anything for you this year. If you can get some, you can answer some questions that need to be answered before the playoffs, you just do it. Uh, and they've still got assets. They can recover from screwing up that pick just like they recovered from Okafer and Nerlens because they already have Simmons and Embiid and now they have Jimmy Butler and he seems to like it there and they can probably re-up with him and take it from there so yeah I like that idea a lot Miami I I could not think of a better one if you gave me the next week um because the culture (laughs) thing is huge and that'd be a good spot for him and it's something they need youth and upside so we'll see yeah uh, I hope it works out for him. Like me too. You know, when I was reading that story, Coach put out when he when you know Markel took this leave of absence, and uh, there's a line in Woj's story about how Fultz's Philadelphia teammates are becoming increasingly concerned for his personal well-being. Um, that's that sucks. Like uh, you know, Markel Fultz is still a kid, and this has to be awful for him. And I really hope uh, you know I hope he can become the player everyone wanted him to be, but. More than anything, I just hope he's like okay as a person because this can't, you know, this has to be harder on him obviously than it is on on anyone. 
Yeah, I I feel the same way. I think you're absolutely right. It's I can't even imagine it. Um, but hey, uh, there's always apparently three to six weeks, and then maybe he'll be back <laughs> on the on the court. Uh, sorry, I kind of made a joke. He probably won't be. But there's always Miami. Um, there will be other situations. T-Bone, we got to wrap it up here. I actually, my band has a show tonight, baby. We're playing the Stone Church in Newmarket, New Hampshire. That's why I'm in New Hampshire. Awesome. Um, yep, it's funny. We moved all the way down to Boston just to come back and play the same place we played when we all lived in New Hampshire. <laughs> Pretty, uh, nice. things are looking up for the Woolly Mammoths, folks. But for now, uh, we'll wrap things up. Thank you for listening to our quarter season awards. Uh, we'll be back soon with some more wonderful seasonal and just basketball podcasts which is really what you're here for but hey thanks for listening give us a rating on apple podcasts uh subscribe as well there or spotify wherever everywhere uh, and we'll be back soon Tommy, any last words no that's it man. This was, that, that indeed is it all right until next time thank you and goodbye